You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 101 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today we are continuing last week's episode about how to grow elderberries by talking through the pests you can expect, the diseases to look out for, toxicity, which is probably the thing that I'm going to geek out the most and what I would say is probably the most important thing to know about growing elderberries, And finally, some recipe ideas at the very end, because this is called Grow Your Own Food, after all. So, that is what we're talking about today, but first, a word from our sponsor. Alright, so last week, we talked all about where to put elderberries on your property how they grow, like their whole growth cycle, how to take care of them, what it's like when they fruit, how to harvest, how to prune, all that good stuff that you need to know when it comes to taking care of the plant. So now we're going to talk about the quote-unquote bad stuff. And it's not necessarily bad. It's just kind of like the reality of growing any plant really. Except for the toxicity part, that's not really a a thing that you have to worry about with most uh, food plants that you grow at home. Elderberry is a little bit special in that way. So let's jump into pests first because elderberries do have, uh, I wouldn't say a significant amount of pests, but they do have a few that can do some pretty serious damage that it's good to know what to look for, how to deal with it, etc. So all plants have pests, right? And and really they're not pests, not in the natural world. What we consider pests are things that just naturally feed off of that host plant. It's only if the number of pests gets out of control due to environmental factors, which are honestly mostly our own doing as human beings, that their presence becomes a problem. So like I said, still, it's good to be able to identify what kinds of bugs and critters might bother growing elderberry plants, especially when they're very young. So the first thing that you are probably going to see, maybe in your, even in your first year of growing elderberries, but definitely in year two, is sawfly caterpillars. So they're honestly pretty harmless. If you Google what sawflies look like, and it's S-A-W-F-L-Y, their caterpillars show up in May or June and pupate and become sawflies. The caterpillars are kind of like this cream color to white little worm looking thing with dark eyes and they're kind of actually a little bit transparent so it's kind of gross but um, you can see their their castings, the the poop basically (laughs) working its way through their system. It's really bizarre. Um, They curl up like little snails on the leaf. They're really not something that you should worry about unless their numbers get completely out of control. Because the adult flies, the adult saw flies, aren't very big, their larvae don't get very big. So because the larvae isn't very big, they don't grow very big, they don't do a ton of damage. They're going to nibble on some of the leaves, 
but they're not going to do the kind of damage that a larger caterpillar might, like a moth caterpillar or a butterfly caterpillar. So when it comes to sawfly caterpillars, if you spot them on your elderberry plants, I would say don't worry about it, you know, unless they're there in the hundreds or, you know, even worse, the thousands, it's not a big deal. They're not going to eat that much and they're really not going to affect your plant's health or their, you know, berry production. Speaking of large caterpillars, though, something that you do want to look out for is the elder shoot borer. It's also known as a spindle worm, and you might be fooled at first into thinking that they are soft lie larvae because they are also kind of like a creamy whitish yellow color, but they have little black spots on their abdomens, kind of up and down both sides of their abdomens, and just immediately, if you see them, pick them off, throw them in a cup of soapy water if that's your preferred method of dealing with caterpillars. If you have the stomach for it, you can squish them. You can, you know, quote unquote, relocate them. You can feed them to the birds, whatever you want to do. The dark orange adult moths of these caterpillars, they lay their eggs in or on dead canes or canes that are at least a year old in July or August. And in the sister post for this episode, I have a link to a picture of an adult uh, elder shoot borer moth. They're really kind of striking, honestly. They're very cool looking, but they are incredibly detrimental to the health of, of your plant. So like I said, because the moths like to lay their eggs in or on dead canes, it's really important to cut off, remove any dead cane from your elderberry plant uh, as soon as you notice it. If the cane is not dead, the larva will kill it. So the way any borer, any boring larva works is it hatches, it bores its way into the stem, and then it eats the stem from the inside out, destroying all of that you know, vascular tissue that brings water up and nutrients down. So if it's not dead, if the borer moth, the adult moth happened to lay its egg on a live cane, the larvae are going to kill it. And then they'll start defoliating the overall shrub. And large moth caterpillars, which the adult moth of the elder shoot borer is a large moth, these caterpillars eat a lot. And if there are enough of them, they can severely impact an elderberry bush. So definitely something you want to keep an eye out for. And definitely something that you want to remediate, you know, preferably, in my opinion, in an organic way, if possible. Unlike the soft like caterpillars that I said, you don't really need to worry about them. These guys, you do. You, you want to deal with them. Similarly, elder borer beetles, all these things, they, they bore into the plants. They're so bad. They're so terrible. Uh, these guys are native to eastern and central North America. And... That's a lot of where elderberry bushes grow in the wild, so that's really not surprising, right? And they're honestly worse than the spindle worms because their larvae burrow down and eat the roots of the plant. So unlike, you know, the larvae that will kind of like 
you'll be able to see the frass. Um, so that episode where I talked about squash vine borers, the vine borers bore into the vine and they kind of excrete that wet sawdust looking stuff called frass. You can usually see that evidence of an elder shoot borer or spindle worm. So you know you need to do something about it. Well, with elder borer beetles though, because they burrow down, they eat the roots of the plant, you cannot see it. You have like no evidence that anything is going on until all of a sudden that particular elderberry plant starts to just kick the bucket and you're left wondering like what the heck is is happening to my plant. So because you can't really tell what is going on with the plant when the larvae are eating at the root level, it's very, very important to keep an eye out for the adults. And again, I have a link to the adults, a picture of an adult elder borer beetle. Again, they're really kind of cool looking. They're orange and they have these like metallic blue wing tips. They kind of look like a race car a little bit, like a fancy painted car. It's, it's so crazy to me that these things that are so destructive, they, they grow up to be really cool looking adult insects. It's really unfortunate, honestly. The adults can be found on the blossoms, feeding on the pollen mostly, and they lay their eggs mostly on the stems of the cane near the base of the plant. So kind of just like squash vine borer moths, right? And actually, when I think about it, the coloration of the squash vine borer moth and the elderberry borer beetles, very similar. Just keep an eye out for at the bases of the canes, you know, at, at soil level, check for eggs. If you find anything that looks suspicious like an egg, just go ahead and, and scrape it off, drop it into a cup of soapy water. That's that's going to be your best bet. It's, it's probably nothing good is laying its eggs down at the base of the plant on, on the cane, honestly. It's going to probably be a borer insect of, of some kind. If you do find any adults on the blossoms, if you're not squeamish about it, you can use your bare hands to pick adults up and off and throw them in the cup of soapy water. If you are squeamish about it, you know what? Put gloves on. When I was first having to get used to the idea of grabbing bugs, I found that having gloves on really, really helped me. And now I will just snatch up various beetles and bugs, you know, barehanded, not a problem. It just kind of helps you. That and your determination to not let things eat your plants. I think really that protectiveness <laughs> kind of comes over you and you just don't care. But honestly, just keeping an eye out for the adults is going to be the best way to deal with that, adults and the eggs. Lastly, woodchucks, also known as groundhogs. And you might be like, what? Yes, woodchucks will happily waddle through your yard and strip new tender green shoots off your elderberry plant. I have seen it happen in my yard. We have kind of a wilderness area. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before where we have deer and beaver and foxes and that kind of thing. And woodchucks, all kinds of wildlife, honestly, end up wandering through our property. They look like beavers, but without the big tail. And they will just kind of mosey on through the yard in the middle of the day, usually in like the, I would say mid-morning. Uh, before it gets too hot, and they'll just yoink. They will just strip, you know, a shoot, a new shoot off the elderberry plant, and walk off with it, eat it. We found that encircling the elderberry bushes with chicken wire 
and anchoring that kind of chicken wire fence or circle down with earth staples was 100% effective at discouraging this behavior. Apparently, the groundhogs or slash woodchucks, whatever you want to call them, are too lazy to want to deal with that much trouble getting to their breakfast. Once the canes hardened up over the winter, I noticed that the woodchuck left them alone. And, and most other mammals will not chew on elderberry plants due to its toxicity, which again, we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Elderberry diseases. So I'm not going to go into a ton of details here because honestly, elderberries, like most plants, are susceptible to a wide variety of cankers, leaf spot, mildew, all kinds of things. I think the important thing to know is that they're all fungal diseases and they can be treated if need be, and I'll address that here in a second, by a good fungicide, like the one that I, I link to in the sister post. It's a, it's a copper fungicide. It is considered organic. You know, copper is a naturally occurring mineral. You can find it in the soil and at minimal levels. You do have to be careful with how many times a year you apply it because if you apply it too much, you can build up a toxic level of copper in the soil. Um, you can build up a toxic level of any mineral, honestly, or nutrient in the soil if you use too much of it. So I would say you really only want to be treating your plants for these fungal diseases. Hopefully once we'll get it, but at most twice. If you're not wanting to spray, uh, simple pruning and swift disposal of the affected canes is, is going to be the best. Cankers are a fungal disease that more often require pruning and disposal of affected canes. So cankers, when they grow to a certain size, they almost kind of strangle off the entire cane. And so you're honestly better off just like cutting it off because it's going to die eventually anyway. And I've found that fungicides don't have as much success dealing with cankers. For something like leaf spot or mildew, a fungicide spray, though, will generally stop the spread pretty well, honestly, in my experience. That is, unless it's just gotten, like, completely out of control. But so far in my time with elderberry plants, I've never seen a leaf spot or mildew get crazy out of control. Unless you're planting it with somewhere that doesn't get a whole lot of light and doesn't get a whole lot of air circulation, your chances of a crazy out-of-control case of leaf spot or mildew are not going to be that high. Honestly, my plants outside right now, they're going crazy. They're over seven feet tall, and they have some leaf spot on them. And, and you can see a picture of what that looks like in the sister post and, and I'm not doing a thing about it because, like I said, you don't always need to remediate the issue. If you've planted your elderberry plants in a place where they get lots of sunlight, lots of wind, it's going to keep the fungal infection from spreading very rapidly because fungus has a tendency to get out of control in dim, damp situations. And so if it happens to land on a leaf, it might develop into a spot but it's going to have a hard time spreading really aggressively. And because I like to only spray when I absolutely have to, even with an organic fungicide, I, I just leave it alone. In addition to that, you know, like most plants, elderberries, bushes can develop blight. 
verticillium wilt or root rot. These are all bacterial infections. Elderberry bushes get something called thread blight, which is common in a lot of trees and shrubs. Again, making sure that they have plenty of space and air circulation helps work against it. Verticillium wilt is caused by a soil bacteria that unfortunately there's there's not really a effective solution for. I have a link to a really good symptom guide in the sister post if you suspect it. And then lastly, to avoid root rot, just like any plant trying to avoid root rot, just make sure that soil is well draining and the plant is not in a low-lying boggy area where you're going to get a lot of standing water. So that's really it for diseases, and I feel like most of that is is pretty common for for most plants. Just making sure they have lots of sunlight and air circulation um, is going to help you avoid a lot of serious problems anyway. Now, to talk about elderberry toxicity, it is important to know that all parts of the plant itself are toxic to household pets. So... If you have dogs that put everything in their mouths, if you have children that put everything in your mouths, you may want to think twice about planting elderberries or plant them somewhere your dog or your small children cannot easily access. If you have cats that like to chew on plants. Out in the wild, most things kind of, they don't, they don't smell good to that animal, and so that animal will not chew on it. A dog, as you guys, most of you who own dogs know, will pretty much put anything in its mouth. So yeah, fence it off, put it somewhere that the dog can't really get to, or if, you, if you've been thinking about growing elderberries, you don't have them yet, but you do have a dog, you really might want to reconsider. What is probably even more important to know, though, aside from knowing that all parts of the plant itself are toxic, is that the berries themselves are toxic to eat raw. Now, I know you're probably kind of like, what the heck, Shauna? This is like a grow-your-own-food podcast. Why are you telling us to grow poisonous berries? Hear me out. (laughs) They contain a toxic alkaloid, and cyanogenic glucosides, which sounds very sciencey, but when eaten, those things together can produce hydrocyanic acid in the body. So if that sounds familiar, cyan, yes, sounds like cyanide, which pretty much exactly what it is. And in high enough concentrations, then eating the berries raw can cause cyanide poisoning. I, when I was doing research before I planted elderberry bushes, I was searching around for information on it, and I actually found a blog post where this poor woman actually took the time and the gastrointestinal discomfort to determine just how many uh, raw elderberries you could eat before getting sick. Her anecdotal answer was about a fourth of a cup. Not scientifically proven at all, but based on her personal experience, she was able to eat about a fourth of a cup. But then she was sick for two to three days. Extreme gastrointestinal discomfort, some some bowel issues, digestion was off for a few days after that. So yeah, don't eat the berries raw. Uh, Again, if you have small children, make sure that they know they can't eat those berries or plant the plants where the children can't access them 
or do not plant elderberry bushes until your children are much older and understand that they shouldn't put everything that looks like a berry in their mouth. Now, I know that all sounds very scary, but these potentially poisonous alkaloids and glucosides break down very easily. They're completely neutralized once the berries are heated to 180 degrees Fahrenheit. So that is about like the temperature that you would want like a chicken breast. So if you bake those berries into a coffee cake at 350 degrees Fahrenheit, or you simmer them on the stove until they reach 280 degrees Fahrenheit, or you dehydrate them at 200 degrees Fahrenheit, that is going to render those alkaloids and glucosides completely, totally harmless. You don't need to boil the living daylights out of them to make them safe. They just need to be heated to 180 degrees Fahrenheit, which in terms of cooking temperatures is really pretty low. I mean, when we boil things, I think boiling point is like 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Gee, many Christmas. I hope I'm right because I'm, if, if I, if my middle school or high school science teacher heard this and I'm wrong, then they would be so ashamed and I'd feel really bad. But yeah, routine cooking will do the job just fine when it comes to neutralizing the toxic compounds that are in elderberries. And and the same goes for making use of elderflowers. I do want to point that out. The elderflowers, again, like I said, all parts of the plant are toxic. So you do have to cook the elderflowers before using them. And I'm going to talk about recipes that you might use them in. So please, please, please know that elderberries are toxic, raw. The plant is toxic. But please also don't let worries about their toxicity scare you away from growing elderberries. As long as you cook the berries and the flowers, you're fine. So after that semi-scary stuff. Now that that's out of the way, let's talk recipe ideas because I love cooking with elderberries. And if you're still up for growing them and cooking with them after, you know, listening to that last little bit, here are a few recipe ideas. There are lots more yummy things you can do with them. These are just my favorite. And I think it's important to to point out elderberries are very high in vitamin C and A, so they're incredibly useful to strengthen the immune system right before cold and flu season. They're not going to cure anything. Popping a vitamin C pill when you already have a cold, I'm sorry, it might maybe shorten the duration of the cold. It's not going to cure your cold. You're not going to wake up from a nap four hours later and be fine. And that's the same with elderberry syrup. You're not going to take a spoonful of it and be completely cured four to six hours later. That's just not how the human body works. But elderberry syrup can be really useful to have on hand during cold and flu season to help boost your immune system and help you fight off things faster. So I have links to these different recipe ideas at the very end of the sister post on the blog at bandbasil.com. First up, I have elderberry boy bait, which is a recipe on my website. So if you're not familiar with boy bait, it's um, kind of a terrible name. I did not name it. 
It is something that a young girl who participated in the Pillsbury Bake Off back in like the 50s or 60s, she named it and she initially had blueberries in it. I think she called it blueberry boy bait. But I adjusted the recipe a little bit and I subbed in elderberries instead of blueberries. And I found it particularly delightful. It develops like this sugary crust on top and it is absolutely delicious. Elderberry syrup, as I mentioned, is something to have around that is really useful to strengthen the immune system, but it's also just freaking delicious. You can put elderberry syrup on pancakes. Any breakfast thing that you p- would put syrup on, elderberry syrup is fantastic for. Elderflower cordial is a way to use those elderflowers. Now, whether or not you make your elderflower cordial alcoholic or not is completely up to you. I would say a non-alcoholic elderflower cordial is going to be kind of like an elderflower simple syrup. So it's going to have lots of sugar and it's going to be boiled with water and those elderflowers and it's going to have a lovely you know, obviously floral scent and flavor. It's really good in mocktails and cocktails alike. Uh, And then, you know, an elderberry liqueur. So um, if you've ever had like a French 75, which is a a champagne cocktail, has Saint-Germain, which is an elderflower liqueur. And it's really, really easy to make elderflower liqueur. You just boil the elderflowers with some water and some sugar, just like you would to make a cordial. And then you add it to a whole bunch of neutral tasting liquor. I like to use vodka just because I find it to be the most neutral tasting liqueur. I I use it for a lot of things. I make my own limoncello. I use vodka. I make my own vanilla extract. I use vodka. Um, So I recommend using vodka to make elderflower liqueur if that's something that you're interested in. Also along the lines of adult beverages, you can make elderberry wine. You would have to have a lot of elderberry bushes to make elderberry wine because the berries themselves are very, very small. So that's probably not something that the average homeowner is going to be able to make elderberry wine. But you know what? If you have some acreage and you're super gung-ho on elderberries and you want to try it, I think it would be immensely fun. Mr. B and I have made our own homemade wine before using wine kits, not elderberries, because we don't have enough elderberries for that. But it is definitely its own little science experiment. And you can make, you know, 27 bottles of wine for the cost of, I don't know, four or five bottles of wine by the time you buy the kit and all the equipment. It's a little messy, but it's it's very fun to see how it's done. And then finally, elderberry jam or jelly. So elderberry jam is going to be kind of smoother. I prefer jams to jellies, but either way, elderberry jam or jelly is absolutely delicious. Kind of like syrup. You can put it on so many things. Uh, I don't have recipes here, but elderberries would go amazing in scones, in compotes, all kinds of stuff. There's honestly a ton of things that you can do with them. And they're really great because they're ripening coming into season after all the other berries that you might be growing have already kind of 
been done for the year. So it's it's really perfect in terms of a, a progression of, of harvest time. When no other berries are producing, that's when elderberries really hit their stride. And there's lots of stuff you can do with them. And it's all delicious. I know that that's a ton of information, but honestly, they have been such a joy for us to grow. They've been very easy to grow. And I hope these past few episodes have given you the confidence you need to grow them for yourself if you have been considering growing them on your own property. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about a specific pest a very specific pest, actually, and that is the corn leaf aphid. So we're going to be talking about how to identify and treat corn leaf aphids because if they haven't shown up in your garden yet and you grow corn, whether it's sweet corn or popcorn, end of June, sometime in July, is usually when they start to show up, round about when tassels kind of start appearing on those corn stalks. So if you are growing corn in your home garden, this is one that you are definitely going to want to listen in on. Otherwise, thank you so very much for listening, and I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.